the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other, Jesus is the way. Amen. 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 Thank you, JC. All right. Good to be back with you, everybody. We were at Citrus Heights last week, but but so great to be back. And again, welcome to all of our guests that are here with us today. We're we're so happy that you're here with us, and uh, great to see everybody. Well, this morning, oh, in your bulletins, I want to thank uh, Cynthia for typing that, and, and Jacob, thank you for the PowerPoint. There's an outline on the back of your bulletins if you'd like to follow along. If you're a note taker, as Pastor David used to say, uh, there's an outline in the back there for you as well. But I want to begin, I want to begin by talking about a, a book by the late Billy, the late, I won't say late, great, Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham. He wrote a book several years ago called Storm Warning. And uh, a lot of the things that he wrote in that book, I think, are really applicable to what's going on in our world today, because he wrote about the rapid changes that we're, we're going through as a world. I mean, this was back in the 90s where he wrote the book. But uh, he talked about the rapid changes that are going into, on in the world and where people are looking to find answers, you know, answers to know what the future holds, answers to know how to plan their lives, answers to know uh, how to thrive in their lives. And he says this, and I'm going to quote here. He says, it seems as if the world changes radically from day to day. No one knows what the, will happen next. In the, in the middle of these rapid changes, people all over the world are desperate to know what the future holds. In the midst of these rapid changes, people all over the world are, are desperate, and they're, they're finding false prophets, false prophets, of every variety are booming, are a booming business. He says, television commentators and authorities in every field are consulted for their wisdom. Some tell us how, how to thrive amongst the chaos. Others tell us how to adapt to the reality of a fractured family. And still others tell us how to liberate the primal male or the earth mother spirit within. <laughs> There's a brisk trade in crystal balls, tarot cards, Ouija boards, new age. He says the new age religions are booming, booming everywhere. It seems like people are looking everywhere but the word of God for the answers. Saying the word of God has the answers to man's deepest questions. And man's deepest spiritual needs are met in the central figure of the word of God, which is God's only son, Jesus Christ himself. We're going to look right now. Uh, we're in John chapter 6. I should have gave you a warning. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, uh, John chapter 6, 1 to 15, I think it will also be up on the screen. We're going to look at an event in Jesus' life where thousands of people were following him because of his wisdom and his miracle working power. And so, if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, if you could stand with me, or if, even if you don't have a Bible, if you're able and willing, if you could stand with me. 
And we're going to read from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. It says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread to, to feed uh, for these people to eat? He asked him this only to test him, because he already knew in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not be enough bread to, for each one to even have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the, in the place, and the, man, the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of of, of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the hills by himself. Amen. You may be seated. May God's word be blessed. Amen. Jesus is revealing himself here in his wisdom and in his power to this great crowd of people and to his disciples. He's, the, he's revealing him to, to be the, himself to be the answer to what they were seeking, to, to be the answer to their physical needs and to their spiritual needs. Je they... In Jesus, they found the answers they were seeking. And the same Jesus that was the answer to that great crowd is the same Jesus who is the answer to the world today. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to man's deepest questions. He's the answer to man's deepest spiritual needs. And the thing is, these are spiritual needs that many people don't even realize they have. Jesus is the answer. We're going to look at two spiritual issues in our world today that Jesus came to be the answer to. And both of these issues require his power, his wisdom, and his love. So the first of the issues that we're going to talk about this morning that Jesus is the answer to is this. Jesus is the answer to our hurting world. Jesus is the answer to our hurting world. Now, Jesus himself was hurting. The, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, tells us a little bit more about what was happening here. See, before this great crowd came to Jesus, Jesus had just heard 
that his cousin, John the Baptist, who had baptized him, sadly had been beheaded by the order of King Herod. So Jesus wanted to take his disciples to a lonely place, uh, to a place to rest. He wanted to grieve with them, to counsel them, to comfort them. He was hurting. But then he lifted up his eyes and he saw this huge crowd of people coming toward him. So what did he do? He sacrificed his own needs at that time, giving us the example of sacrifice and he, for the needs of others because of his love for others. He loved this crowd. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us this, that he looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the answer to our hurting world, our hurting world in need of healing. No doubt. You know, verse 2 says they, they followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. No doubt. Many of these people were, had sick, were sick. No doubt. They probably knew people that had been healed by Jesus. Maybe friends, maybe family members. And so they were coming. They were seeking him. And it says, the Bible tells us this, Mark 6, 34, when he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loved them, and they knew it. This was a man that's healing people and helping us, and they knew that God's love was being flowing through him. That word compassion is the same word that's used in Mark chapter 1. When a leper, a man struck with leprosy, came to Jesus on his knees, and he said, Master, I know if you're willing, you can make me, you can make me clean. Jesus, the Bible says this, Jesus was filled with compassion, Mark 1, verse 40, and he reached out his hand, and he touched him. And the moment he touched him, the leprosy was gone. God has sent Jesus to the world, to show us his love, God has sent Jesus into the world to touch us with his love, to cleanse us. You know, it's the goodness of God that leads us to, to want to repent, to turn to him. Listen to this, Romans chapter 2, verse 14. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. Once we understand how good God is, how, how loving God is, it, 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 it motivates us to want to follow him. You know, because we have a sickness. We have a disease. And that disease is called sin. It's a, it's a disease that deforms our character. It's a disease that alienates us from God. And the Bible says we all have it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We all have it, and we all, our greatest need, whether we know it or not, is to be forgiven. I like the way Charles Swindoll says it in his book, The Grace Awakening. A little play on words there. He said, if our greatest need was if for information, God would have sent us some educators. If our greatest need was for technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If God's greatest need was for money, God would have sent us an economist. Huh. If, God, if our greatest need was for pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Jesus died 
so that we could be saved. He died so we can be forgiven. He died so we could be healed. Spiritually cleansed. Listen to this. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. Jesus is the answer to a hurting world in need of healing. Not only a hurting world in need of healing, but also a hurting world in need of hope. Of hope. Look at the crowd. The crowd, verse 5, it, it tells us that the crowd that, that, that came to him, how big was this crowd? Well, verse 10 tells us there was 5,000 men, but Matthew says that doesn't include the women and children. So if you count the men, the women, and the children, there's at least 10,000 people there. Now, 10,000 people, think about it. Many of you heard on the news a couple of weeks ago back down in Del Rio, Texas, there was a crowd of 12,000 people that were primarily Haitian immigrants. And, you know, there was a great shortage of food and water supplies for these people. There were efforts were being made, but many of them had to go to the border, cross the border to Mexico to find food supplies. The question Jesus and his disciples had were, how were they going to supply food for this many people. Now, Jesus knew, we just read it, he knew what he was going to do, but he saw this as a faith-building opportunity. <laughs> I like what it says here. To test Philip, to test Philip, he asked him, how, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? That's in verse 5. In verse 6, says he said this only to test him. He knew what he was going to do. Philip, now Philip was a pessimist, okay, I just got to tell you. He, uh, you know, to him, ah, you know, even if we have eight months wages, it's not enough for even each one of these people to have a bite, okay. He, uh, he wasn't very hopeful. Now, Andrew, on the other hand, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he was listening in on the conversation. He said, well, wait a minute, now, uh, there's a little boy here, I mean, he's got two small fish and five loaves of bread, but, you know, but what good will that do? Well, here's the thing. Uh, Philip was a pessimist. Andrew was an optimist. Philip says, there's no way. We shouldn't even try. It's, it's impossible. Andrew said, let's at least look at what we got. Uh, he, he had an attitude of faith and hopefulness. You see, to the human mind, to the logical mind, this was an impossibility. But the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. Amen. With God, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Jesus used this as a faith-building opportunity. You know, there's a musician that, uh, I'm sorry, not a musician, a preacher, Scott, Scottish preacher, who once said this, the most profane word we use is hopelessness. He says, when we say a situation is hopeless, we're slamming the door on God. We're saying, God, you can't come in with your miracle-working power, okay? No God, no hope. But there is hope. There is hope. Uh, 
there is hope because God is a miracle-working God. Several years ago in Britain, they did a research. They went door-to-door researching people's belief in God, whether or not they believed in a miracle-working God ultimately. And so they went about and they asked this question to people. They went through. They said, do you believe in a God who intervenes in human history, who changes the course of affairs, who performs miracles, etc.? When, this published, when they published their study, they took the title of their, uh, their study from one, a response of one man who kind of gave a typical answer of most of the other people, and he said this, No, I don't believe in that God. I just believe in the ordinary God. <laughs> what kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe in just the ordinary God you can't expect much from? Or do you believe in a God who can change things, who can open doors, who can provide in miraculous ways. Jesus is the answer. Uh, You know, God is testing you. Just like Peter was testing, Jesus was testing Philip, asking him how we're going to get the food. God is testing you. How do I say that? He wants you to live by faith. Romans 1, 17, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? What does that mean to live by faith? Well, to begin with, let's start with our prayer life. Prayer, pray, pray in faith. Listen to David, Psalm chapter 5 and verse 3. David says to God, he says in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, morning by morning, O Lord, You hear my voice. Morning by morning, I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. In expectation. He's waiting expectantly for the God who can change things, for the God who has miraculous power to provide. Pray in faith. You know, God, we serve a great God, amen? We serve a great God who is able to do abundantly more than you. All we ask or think. We serve a God who has a hope. We serve a God who is bigger than any problem you might have. Now, sometimes our problems can be pretty heavy. Sometimes our problems can, can, can be so big that they cause us to be down. They cause us to be in the dark. They cause us to be in despair. Where we're we're tempted to lose all hope and say it's hopeless. This past month was Suicide Prevention Month. My wife, Tess, uh, walked on the Suicide Prevention Walk. She's been doing that for the last seven years to fight, to raise funds to fight against suicide. The name of the walk, by the way, is called Walk Out of Darkness. Isn't that appropriate? The the idea of walking out of the darkness of despair and hopelessness. What causes suicide? One psychiatrist, one psychiatrist uh, by the name of Aaron Parody wrote a powerful article that he titled Dying of Despair. And he says this. He says, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, is not how many symptoms he exhibits, 
It's not how much physical pain he's suffering. It's not whether he's rich or poor. The most dangerous factor, he says, is a person's sense of hopelessness. He says, the man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. He says, we cannot live without hope. Jesus came to give us hope. Jesus is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Put your faith in him, trust in him, pray to him. He is our hope. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to our hurting world in need of hope. Not only is Jesus the answer to our hurting world, but Jesus is the answer to our hungry world. Our hungry world. You know, Jesus knew he was going to feed these people. He knew he was going to feed them this physical food, and he used the lesson of this miracle. Same chapter, John chapter 6, verse 35, to teach them a spiritual lesson about himself. Listen to this. John 6, verse 35, Jesus says it this way. I, talking, he's referring to the bread that he just gave everyone, and he says this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. You know, what happens? You know what? Now I'm going to go back to that musician. <laughs> There's a musician, a, a famed British musician, Frank Farrell, who once said it this way. It's my conviction that a, large, a very large part of mankind's ills and the world's misery is due to the rampant practice of trying to feed the soul with the body's food. Trying to feed the soul with the body's food. Trying to feed your, your soul, your spiritual self, with, by physical means, physical uh, pursuits, physical pleasures, physical preoccupations, and it won't do. It will not satisfy. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who satisfies. Our world is hungry. Our world is hungry, seeking to be satisfied. You know, Jesus, when he sits down, verse 11, 10 and 11, sits down with his disciples and he gives them instructions. He sees this great crowd of people. And uh, it's about Passover time, which means it's spring, which means there's a lot of green, tall grass. So the people sat down on the grass, the Bible tells us. He had them sitting in groups. And he gave them instructions. He gave the, he gave them, the, he told his, his disciples to have them sit in, in certain amount, certain groups, in certain ways. And then he took the bread from the little boy, and he took the two little fish, and he put them in his hands, and he looked up to heaven. And Mark tells us that he blessed the food. He thanked God for the food. And then he, 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 he gave it. He gave it. He took it. He blessed it. He gave it. That is a pattern of ministry that Jesus had in the Bible and that Jesus has today. Through us who are his believers, how does that apply? We're to take what God has given us and bless it. Just I like the way Chuck gave an offering for similar to what you prayed for our offering today. Bless it. Give thanks to God for what you have and ask him to use it 
and then give it. Give it as service to the Lord in obedience to him. You know what will happen? God will use it, and it is going to have a ripple effect upon others who will affect others who will affect others. He's going to multiply his ministry through what you use because you've taken it, you've blessed it, and you've given it. That's what Jesus did. You might say, well, I don't have that much. Now, this little boy didn't have much. You talk about fish. That was a little teeny fish he had. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big spurgeon. <laughs> I don't know if you're fishing or not here. You know, this wasn't a big spurgeon. He just loofed it. He probably brought it for lunch. No. You say, well, I don't have much. Well, here's the thing. You might have not have much, but if you get it to the touch of the master's hand, I like the way he will multiply it. I like the way Danny Bell Hall, Grammy Award winning singer, uh, in her words, ordinary people. And she wrote this song about this event in Jesus' life, and it says this. I, 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 I've had the privilege of knowing Danny Bell. She's gone, gone on to be with the Lord right now. But she says this, just ordinary people. God uses ordinary people, just like me and you, who are willing to do what he commands. God uses people that will give him all, no matter how small your all may seem to you. Because little, listen to this now, Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. Just like this little lad who gave Jesus all he had, how the multitudes were fed with the fish and the loaves of bread. What you have may not be much, but when you yield it to the touch of the master's loving hand, then you will understand how your life could never be the same. You will understand how your life could never be the same. Ask Jesus to help you find someone else that you can help find, help them find the bread of life. You know, one evangelist once said it this way, evangelism is just one beggar helping another beggar where to find food. Tell another beggar where to find food. Jesus is that food. Jesus is that bread. Find the bread of life for a better life. Jesus provides the satisfaction. He provides the satisfaction that the world is looking for. He is the answer to a hungry world, not only seeking to be satisfied, but seeking direction. You know, we sat on that hill. He, he took the a traditional position of a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. That's a Jewish teacher. And he had his disciples sitting around him. And then he looked up. And he saw this great crowd. And John Mark tells us the first thing he did when he saw this crowd, we already know he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them. And it says he began to teach them many things. And he saw them as desperately in need of spiritual direction. And he, and he had this compassion. You know, the world is desperately looking for spiritual direction. The problem is, many times they're looking in the wrong places. Once again, Billy Graham in his book, Storm Warnings, he says this, spiritual mediums are prospering. People everywhere are planning their lives by the signs of the zodiac. Instead of planning our signs, lives by the signs of the zodiac, we should be planning them by the signs of Jesus Christ. 
the signs of Christ. The signs of Christ. These, these people saw the, the miraculous signs that he did. Now, the word signs literally means it's talking about the, uh, the connection, pointing the connection Jesus has to God the Father and the ruling power of God that is in Christ. The people saw that, and it says that they, they proclaimed, this is him. This is the prophet that we've been waiting for. He's got the power. So what do they want to do? They wanted to make him their king. And we've already said that Jesus rejected that, and he went off to him by himself into the hills. Do you remember what Jesus told Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' king, Jesus' kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. He reigns in those who put their trust in him. One day, one day he will return physically in the clouds. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and Jesus is going to rule the earth, Revelation chapter 21. But these, this crowd didn't understand that. And Jesus knew it. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just an earthly king. He was king of kings and lord of lords, very God, a very God. See, it's Jesus' kingship that we should seek in our hearts. It's his kingship that we should obey. It's his kingship that we should look to for spiritual guidance and spiritual direction. What does it say? Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In other words, seek the, seek the rule of God and seek to be right by God. Seek the Lord's kingdom, his kingship. John, in the end of his gospel, you know, he talks about the signs, the signs of Christ. And, and, and the, the signs of Christ are to lead us to the Savior, the, his miraculous sign. And what is his greatest sign? Jesus' greatest sign is what? The resurrection of the dead from, his, from being the resurrection. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way. When Jesus rose from the dead, God gave him the name that is above every other name. He highly exalted him, and that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. When you submit to his kingship is when you enter into his kingdom. Huh? What's that? Submit to his kingship, enter his kingdom. That's how it works. And John at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, he talks about the signs of Christ. And he talks about the reason for the signs. And he says this, John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. But these, now these that are written, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may receive, you may have life in his name. That's eternal life. Follow the signs to Jesus. Follow the signs to Jesus. You know, the signs, the signs on the freeway are there for a purpose. The signs on the freeway are there to direct you to your destination. Unfortunately, my, I can tell you, I'm sad to say, my wife can testify, even with the right signs, I go the wrong direction. <laughs> but, but the signs are there for a purpose. Okay, follow the signs. Follow the signs. And when you get there, follow the signs to Jesus. And when you get there, 
Jesus will enter into you. He will teach you. He will lead you. He will guide you by his spirit. If you stay, if you stay in prayer and stay in his word, uh, verse, uh, still in John 6, 63, I know I'm going a couple minutes long today, but we'll kind of close this quickly. John 6, 63, Jesus talks about his word and he says it this way. He's still talking about himself as the bread of life and he says it this way. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. You see, when you take in the words of Christ, you're taking in spiritual food. When you follow the direction of Christ in his word, you're, you're following his spiritual direction. Jesus is the answer to a hungry world seeking to be satisfied. Jesus is the answer to a hurting world. Just like the leper was cleansed, our deepest need is in our hearts is for our sin-stained hearts to be cleansed. And he'll do that when you turn to him. He'll forgive you and give you refreshing and give you renewing. And then hope in God, a miracle-working God who can change things. Listen to this. Not only does he change things, but what else does he change? He changes you. And he changes me. Jesus is the answer to a hurting world. Jesus is the answer to a hungry world. A world desiring to be filled the way only God can do, following the true signs that'll, that, that, that'll give you the guidance that you want to be found, not the signs of the zodiac, but the signs of Jesus Christ. He'll lead you. Following his image, following his likeness, Growing in Christ, and I'm going to close with this, I'm going to close with this quote. New, New Testament professor Robert Mulholland uh, says, often people have the idea that the image of Christ is something alien to the human being. Something strange that God wants to add to our life that doesn't really fit. It's imposed upon us from the outside. But in reality, Mulholland says, the image of Christ, that's what we're going to grow into, is a fulfillment of the deepest hungers of the human heart for wholeness. The greatest thirst of our being is the fulfillment of Christ's image. The most profound yearning of the human heart is the yearning for completeness in the image of Christ. Will you find your completeness? He is the bread of life. He will fill you. Grow. Will you grow in your relationship to him? He is the answer to your heart's deepest need. Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you provided for our needs in sending us Jesus to satisfy our soul, to give us direction, to fill our hungry hearts as only you can. Lord, I just pray, we pray, that your spirit just be upon each one of us here this morning, Lord. If there's anyone that hasn't yet uh, received that bread of life here today, Lord, help them just to open up their hearts to Jesus this morning, to pray to him to confess to him, to follow him. Guide us, Lord. 
as we seek together to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray.